Well, there was a man in this prison cell long before me that sat right here uh, by the name of John. And John was a good guy. Matter of fact, if you've read your Bible, you would know him as John the Baptist. And John the Baptist didn't deserve to be in prison. John the Baptist really, he didn't do anything wrong to deserve being in prison. And I think that's how a lot of us feel when it comes to being offended. Because the offense has imprisoned us. And we have spent years in here waiting for the person that offended us to set us free. (laughs) We spent years behind bars all the while we thought we were imprisoning the offender. But it was really us that was in prison, the offended. And, and if, you'll, if, if, if you would just try to maybe get out of your mind tonight that this is your typical one, two, three sermon and we're out. And, and if you would even be vulnerable enough, if you're watching online, if you're sitting in the crowd, if you'd be vulnerable enough to look through the bars and not see me and not see John the Baptist, but is there any reflection of yourself behind these bars? Is there anything about yourself that you will see and hear tonight that, might, that you might identify with that you have long since forgotten? Now, now you won't be, John was in prison physically, and obviously you're not going to be in the prison cell physically, but my question for you to consider tonight, are you in prison emotionally? Are you in prison spiritually? Um, you, you might see yourself here in one of those categories. Not, watch this. Not because of the crimes you've committed, but you could be... Th- this is what's so ironic about this. You could literally be in prison emotionally, in prison spiritually, not for the crimes that you've committed, but you, ironically, are in prison for the crimes that were committed to you. That just sounds so unfair, and we dealt with being unfair last week. When they put John in prison, I love the story, and I don't know how you read the Bible, but when I read the Bible, I love to fill in the story part of it, the emotional part, the humanity of it. And I just have to wonder, what did those guards think when the prison, I I don't know, I just imagine the main prison door opening to go down into some other cells, and, and there the guards were that brought John the Baptist in. I just have to imagine, what were they thinking? Like, how could this man be here? Uh, many scholars say that John was in, Larry, the third cell. The, the third cell. The third cell, many would say, was the worst cell. It, it, I, I don't want to bore you with all the historical ramifications, but it, it wasn't your country club prison. Many believe that you had to go down under the prison to get to the third cell. Um, it was the shackles and the stockades and the bars and the dungeon and all of that. That's not my point tonight, but, but, but when I think about the prisoner, John the Baptist, the prisoner in the third cell, My mind starts wondering, well, what about the prisoner in the second cell? And what about the prisoner in the first cell? Now, now you won't find this in the Bible, and if you'd give me just a little bit of imaginary uh, um, flexibility, I I, want to visit those two cells just a minute and contrast them 
to this cell. Because if you don't recognize yourself in the third cell, you might recognize yourself in the second or the first cell. The, the guy that's in the first cell down there, you, you can hear him. The guy in the first cell, I, I like to imagine he's loud and he's obnoxious. Anybody ever met that guy? Don't point, just raise your hands. And, and, and he's loud and he's obnoxious and, and he is banging on the bars and he's yelling constantly. Nobody can get any sleep. He's constantly yelling that there is a mistake and that he's innocent and that he shouldn't be there. That he's done nothing wrong. Hmm, have you ever met that person? And, and, and so he's loud, he's obnoxious, he's declaring it's not his fault. Watch this. I meet this guy all the time, that his actions are not his fault. His actions are because of somebody else, because of someone else, because of something else, because of another set of circumstances. He, he, he has failed to recognize that even though things happen to him, he's still responsible. Come on, everybody. Unfair things have happened, but there comes a line in the sand where we're still responsible for our own actions. Uh, he, he, he wants to blame the sin. He wants to blame the offenses. None of them are his fault. Uh, maybe you've heard him before. He, he likes to blame his parents. He, he likes to blame the divorce. He likes to blame his ex-wife or his ex-husband. He likes to blame the abuse. He likes to blame the lack of attention that he got when he was a child. He likes to blame everything else. He blames the boss. Come on. He blames the pastor. Have you heard him complain before? He, he, he blames black lives. He blames white lives. He blames Republicans. He blames Democrats. He blames Christians. He blames atheists. He blames his crazy uncle. He blames the neighbors next door. Come on, everybody. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I know you've never blamed anybody else, but you understand the guy that's in the first cell. And all the while, he has never realized that while all that might be true, and I don't want to take that away from him, all that might be true. The abuse is true. The crazy neighbor and the unfair uncle and the abusive parents and the unwanted advance. It's all true. I, I'm not dismissing the fact that somebody didn't do something wrong. That Watch this. That somebody didn't offend. Remember what offense means? To violate. To strike against. Somebody, it's true. Somebody violated the guy in the first cell. But he hasn't grown up enough to recognize that when the violation, when the abuse, when the offense was over, he hasn't recognized there's a difference in being offended and living in offense. Hmm. He hasn't recognized that he's still responsible. He, 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 and, and here's what's ironic about it. He tried to put his offenders in prison, and in the act of trying to put his offenders in prison, he became a prisoner himself. 
Uh, what about the guy in the second cell? If, if you would just with me for a moment, just imagine. That's the prisoner in the first cell, and he blamed everything on man. Uh, the prisoner in the second cell then, this guy is equally loud, but he doesn't blame everything on others. He blames everything on God. Have you ever met him? He blames everything on God. He, he, he blames God for his imprisonment. He blames God for the unfairness. He blames God for the abuse. He declares, if God loved him, he would have delivered me from this situation. If God really loved me, if God was really real, where would, and he asked these hard questions that it's hard, hard for our Christian cliche bumper sticker theology to answer. Where was God when... Ah. We love to have quick refrigerator verses, but those are some questions that I don't have quick refrigerator verses for. Come on, somebody. If God really loved me, you know, He would be the one that would tell you, you know, I prayed for my sick mother and God didn't heal her. I prayed for and it didn't happen. Where was God when I was abused? Where was God when I was five? Where was God when I was at my crazy uncle's? Where is God when tragedy happens? And, and, and you know what else he would say? He's even offended when somebody like you comes along or somebody like me comes along and tells him that God loves him and has a plan for his life. Mm. So watch this. The prisoner in the first cell, he blames everything on man. He blames everything on others. The prisoner in the second cell, he blames everything on God. And the prison door opens, and they escort John the Baptist in. And after days, hours, weeks, months of hearing the prisoner in the first cell blame others, and the prisoner in the second cell blame God, I wonder if they started wondering, who will the prisoner in the third cell blame? Maybe John? Maybe, maybe he will blame both. Ah, maybe, maybe the prisoner in the third cell, he'll blame man because man's responsible for him being here. I mean, Herod, come on. How could Herod be so unjust to put him, not just Herod, but his new wife and, and his stepdaughter, and, and, and I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to blame man for all of this. Or... Maybe he could blame God too. Huh. I'm going to, in fact, he could have blamed man and God because God, by the way, if you didn't know this, John the Baptist, his parents died when he was 12 years old. How unfair is that? How unjust is that? He literally went to live with a crazy uncle out in the desert, and when he was in a teenager, he didn't get to do what the other teenagers were doing. He didn't go to school with the other teenagers. He was educated by his uncle. He wore some funky clothes. How many know that? And he ate some funky food. How many know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, so he could be mad at man, Herod. He could be mad at God because he took my parents. My parents weren't there. They weren't there physically. Some of us are still blaming our parents that weren't there emotionally. Come on. But John, here's what will surprise you about this prisoner that's in the third cell. While the guy down there is loud and obnoxious and he's blaming others, and prisoner cell number two is loud and blaming God, the prisoner in the third cell... He never says a word. He never says a word. Kind of like the guy we started this series with, David. Remember David? He didn't say a word. He didn't divide the kingdom. 
He didn't rise up against his spiritual leader. He didn't rise up against his God. He didn't throw spears. Come on. John never blamed Jesus. And by the way, let's get the plot a little thicker. John never blamed Jesus, but he was there because of Jesus. And he was there because of Jesus. And Jesus didn't even come and do prison ministry. Jesus didn't even come visit him while he was there. Jesus had the power to perform a miracle. In fact, we're going to see later, Peter was in prison and he opened the prison doors. Lazarus was dead for crying out loud and he rose him and broke him out of the grave. I would think that my cousin, Jesus, would break through or break me out. There's family for you. (laughs) Just about the time you expect your family to act one way because they're family. Ah. John was a great man, by the way. I don't want to minimize. John was an incredible. In fact, Jesus himself said that there was none greater ever born to a woman. Mm. Wait a minute. John was a great man and he's in prison? Wait a minute. John was a great man and Jesus... Didn't perform a miracle for him? Uh. Does that mean that great men, does that mean that great women can end up in prison? Does that mean that great men and women can pray and not get the miracle they're praying for? I sometimes think it takes more faith not to get the miracle and keep on serving God than to get the miracle and keep on serving God. Oh, I know there's a lot of theologians out there that want to argue that. It doesn't take a whole lot of faith once I get what I've prayed for, but can you keep trusting him when you can't trace him? And and, and John, I just wonder, John was great. I'm not taking anything from him, but did he ever doubt? I mean, these nights in this prison can get lonely, and they can get dark, and they make your mind wander. They make you think about things that when you're busy doing life, you normally don't think about. Did he doubt? Did John doubt? I think he did. Matthew chapter number 11, let's look at it. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples. John had disciples also. He sent his disciples to ask him, watch this. John, his his whole life was dedicated to pointing toward Jesus. He was dedicated. He loved God. He's blood-related to Jesus. He knows the miraculous birth of Jesus. He has seen the miracles of Jesus. Come on. He baptized Jesus and watched the heaven open and the voice of God say, This is my beloved Son who I am well. Come on, somebody. I'm talking He was there and yet... He has the audacity to say, are you the one who is to come or should I be expecting someone else? I know none of you have ever asked in your prison cell, in your not worked a miracle, broke me out of my, healed me, delivered me from my, but do you know anybody that's ever asked, are you the one? It's a revealing question, isn't it, everybody? I mean, if John could ask that question, are are you the one? 
Have you ever asked, Jesus, are you real? God, are you really there? God, do you really hear my prayers? God, do you know where I live? God, have you heard what I've been praying about for the last 10 years? God, are you real or should I be praying to someone else? Do you really even care? You see, God, I'm in this situation here. Uh, I'm in this In case you didn't know, I'm in this situation. My life has been limited. Where are you? Why haven't you come to visit? Here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, write this down. Offenses always start when someone doesn't meet our expectations. Remember week number one, I talked about how I think offending people is my spiritual gift? Yeah, because I do it accidentally. And when you can do something really good and you're not even trying, come on, that's a gift. And that's the reason. Because the moment that we don't meet, it's funny how many Christians expect the church to be or their pastor to be in the chair that only God can be in. Only God can be everywhere all the time. Only God answers the phone 24 hours a day. Only God can read your mind. Hello? The church can't be what God is. And we have reversed that. We put the church, we have the expectations of the church that we should have on God. And we expect the church to be our source. But we forget that the church is just a gathering of a bunch of imperfect people on a journey together. Come on, somebody. Right? Only God can do those things. And, and, and by the way, let me backtrack just a little bit. Please don't let anyone tell you that as a Christian, you will never doubt. Mm. Don't let anybody tell you if you have enough faith, you will never doubt. Don't, any, don't let anybody tell you if you really love Jesus, you'll never struggle, you'll never hurt, you'll never feel alone. Come on. Because John the Baptist is the epitome of a great Christ follower. Yet he's doubting, he's struggling, he's hurting, and he's feeling alone. Do you know anybody that's ever had one of those feelings? While you got your Bible in your hand. Yeah, uh, let's go back to Matthew and let's read a little bit more and check this out. Jesus answered, okay, so John sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Here's Jesus' answer. And tell me if it doesn't frustrate you. Maybe not at the same level, but if I was John, I would have been a little frustrated. Have you ever asked for a direct question and not got a direct answer? Wait a minute. From one another, that's expected. I'm talking about prayed a specific prayer, and God, if you will this, and oh, maybe he did. Oh, maybe he didn't. Did he say? Did he not say? Hmm. So Jesus answered and said to them, it's a simple question. Are you the Messiah? Now, to my simple brain, all that takes is a yes or no answer. Am I right about it? Now, I would be in serious trouble if I said Jesus is being stupid here. So in reality, maybe Jesus is up to something because we know that he's not being stupid. But he asked a direct question and watched Jesus Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and shoo John. I love that. That's King James. Uh, Shoo John. 
Go shoe John. Go shoe John again. Those things which I looked that up twice. Like the Bible has a misspell. Show John again those things which he do hear and see. Watch this. Verse number five is the key. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Wait, watch this. This is what I built this whole series off of, this line. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Is that all I got there? Is there any more? I think that's all I got. Wow. Now notice this. I, I want to I pull out verse number five and six. Watch this. I want you to notice. John is asking a direct question. Have you, have you ever felt that it's okay to say it. God already knows what you're thinking. Have you ever felt Jesus has been evasive? Have, have you ever felt like, God, if you will just show me this, then I will. <laughs> okay, I'm going to talk to the people that are. Um, John felt that way. Um, now, here's what's interesting about Jesus' answer. He said, are you the Messiah or should I look for another? Well, you go back and tell John, the lame walk, the blind see. I'm paraphrasing. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Watch this. This is so key. Because sometimes the answer that we're asking verbally in prayer is already hidden in the Word of God. What we might not recognize here is Jesus is quoting the Bible. Jesus is quoting Isaiah chapter number 35. And in Isaiah chapter 35, write it down, read it later. In Isaiah chapter number 35, the prophet Isaiah says, When God shall come to deliver his people, you will know it's him because the blind will receive their sight, the lame will walk, the lepers will be cleansed, and the deaf will hear. Come on, everybody. I wonder sometime if we're not busy trying to get an answer from God and God's saying, I've already written you a letter about it. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Have you ever called anybody up and said, hey, I've been waiting for an answer for a month. Did you not read my email? <laughs> yeah, right? But the thing that interests me the most about this this portion of Scripture is I love and I fall in love with verse number 6 because I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. And sometimes the work of God can be offensive. Sometimes God's children can be offensive. Ah, sometimes those that you help the most can be offensive. It, it was Jesus Watch this, watch this. It wasn't Jesus' job not to offend John. It was John's job not to be offended. Now, I'm not giving us permission to go around and purposely try to offend everybody, but we can't read everybody's mind. We don't know what offends everybody. I could tell a joke and 50% of the class laugh and 50% of the place get mad and write me hate mail. It's not my job to worry about what nerve I stood on and how I offended you. It's your job to walk through life and not live in the offenses that are going to come through this life. Come on. It, it, it's John's job to be unoffendable. 
And, and by the way, let me tell you why this is so important. It, listen, I'm looking through the bars and telling you it's your job to live a life and determine to be unoffendable. Watch this. Jesus said you'd be blessed. After all, he shows us in another portion of Scripture that there are some miracles that don't happen because people are offended. Whoo, I wonder if God's wanted to bless me and work miracles and have breakthrough in my life, but because I'm walking around offended, because I'm trapped in these prison bars of offense, I wonder if I've not got to see the fullness of God, the blessings of God, the miracles of God, because I have not gotten myself out of the prison of offense, and the miracles are happening right out here, but I'm still in cage, imprisoned in my offense, in my violation. Come on, somebody. Let me, let me show it to you. Mark chapter number 6. Check this out. Mark chapter number 6. Jesus comes back to town. Isn't this the carpenter? Now, when you read this, you got to understand there's sarcasm to it. Okay? This is not just like a pretty... There's sarcasm to this. Isn't this the carpenter? Like, he ain't nothing big deal. He puts his pants on one leg at a time, too. Right? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't that Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't these his sisters with us? And they took what? Offense. They took offense. They got offended. Mm-hmm. Watch this, verse number five. I fast-forwarded. You can read the wholeness later. They took offense. Watch what happens because of the offense. He, isn't that interesting? It didn't say he did not. It say he could not do any miracles there because of the offense. Wow. That rocks my world. I sometimes wonder, blessed are they who are not offended in me. Watch this, watch this. All, the Bible records so many stories of Jesus doing miracles, right? Follow this train of thought. So, here's an example. Blind Bartimaeus, he's walking down the road. Blind Bartimaeus is on the roadside with a lot of beggars, a lot of people. But the Bible only tells us that Blind Bart got his sight. Blind Bart got a miracle. What about all the others? We got the story of Blind Bart. We don't have the story of the others, maybe because they didn't get the miracle. They didn't get their eyes healed. They didn't get their legs healed. They didn't get a chance to talk to Jesus. I wonder how many crowds gathered around and the Bible says many times throughout Scripture that the crowds were so large and Jesus would heal. But what about the one that was next in line and the disciples whisk him off? I mean, did he stay there all day or did he just stay there an hour? And did somebody wait in line and didn't get their healing? I have a feeling that there are some... He didn't heal everybody that was sick and yet we got to hear these words, but I know you were next in line for your miracle, but blessed are they who are not offended in me. Let me paraphrase. Blessed are they that can still love me when they don't understand me. Blessed are they who will love God and not the gifts that God gives. Blessed are they now, if anybody ever had a right to a breakthrough, come on, would you have to agree with me? I just feel like it had to be John. I mean, at least like a, a drive-by, you know, hey, John, I'll catch you later. You know, I mean, you know what I mean? At least something. 
I, I mean, at least, a, you know, hey, sneak this into John cell. I got a little note for him, you know, catch you on the flip side, right? I mean, something. And it's interesting. I chose to sit in this prison cell where John sat, and yet John, I don't think he was offended. But I've sat right in the same prison cell asking the same questions. Blaming others. I know you've never done it. Blaming God. Offended. Resentful. Hurt. I resigned my church in 2011 because of offense, basically. Now, if I could have a conversation with God, I mean, if I could have a conversation with John, if we were doing prison visitation, and here's John sitting in here, and I think John would first of all say something like this, offense is the gateway to unforgiveness. Can you put that? Offense is the gateway to unforgiveness, and unforgiveness is the prison. I want you to imagine prison, and I want you to imagine, you've seen it in the movies, you've seen, some of you have seen it in real life. So the prison door opens and, and it shuts, clang! You know what? That door into that prison cell, the door that opens, the hinges that open, is the offense. What you do with the offense determines what side of the bars you will live your life on. How do you process when somebody fails you? How do you process when somebody lets you down? How do you process not only did they fail you, but then they acted like they didn't care? <laughs> then, then Jesus acted like you didn't even notice that I've been up in this prison for all this time. Unforgiveness is the prison. Wow. And it starts with offense. Here's what I want to try to rip through. Some of you are already nervous because I told you I had 10 points tonight and I haven't given you one yet. Surprise, surprise. You guys are the ones in prison. <laughs> Ten things that if I could talk with John, I believe I'd learn from John. You guys ready for him? We're going to go fast. Here we go. Number one. John would say this, even good people will offend you. Even good people. Even your spouse. Even your mom. Even your children. Even your fill-in-the-blank, even good people, they will offend you. Watch this. Because nobody lives up to your expectations. Let me say it again. Nobody lives up to your expectations. Now, I get this from the story of John, right? Because Jesus disappointed John. Because Jesus did not live up to John's expectation. You should have at least come to see your old cousin that's here, and I've spent my whole life representing you. Oh. I'm going to say it again. I know I said it earlier, but it's your responsibility not to be offended. It's not my responsibility because I don't know what nerve to avoid stepping on. <laughs> you would think I'm schizophrenic when I'm writing a sermon. Because I'll write something down and go, no, that's going to hurt somebody's feelings. And then write something completely, no, that's going to get somebody mad. And finally I say, let's just get them all. <laughs> Number two, I can't wait for the other person to move towards me. Don't we learn this from John? 
John had to decide, I'm going to forgive my expectation. It's funny that he had to forgive Jesus. What? How do you have to forgive Jesus? Because he put an expectation that now, listen, Jesus didn't move towards him. So John had to move towards Jesus. Uh, and by the way, time out real quick. I, I know I've probably said this before, but when I say move towards your offender, that doesn't mean physically. Lest you get offended again. Lest you offend them because they didn't even know they offended you. Lest you start another family war right in the holidays. Come on, you know what I'm saying, right? He didn't, he didn't even give John an answer. We've already established that. But the answer was in the Word of God. Don't wait for the other person to repent before you forgive them. You might be waiting until Jesus comes. That person might be dead and in a grave. They can't call you. They can't ask forgiveness. Don't wait for them to repent. Number three. Number three, it doesn't always work out pretty, but it can still have purpose. You know why I can say this? Because John was beheaded. That's not a pretty Christian ending. Ladies, I'm sorry, that is not a Hallmark Christ Christmas movie. He's be, it doesn't always end pretty, but it can still have purpose. And God can take the thing that's not pretty. Your misery can become your ministry. I don't want to sound cheesy or cliche, but it's true. Your pain can become your purpose. It doesn't have to end pretty. It doesn't have to have nice music and the credits roll. I'm telling you, the offense still happened and the offense was real. Hey, guy in cell number one, yes, it was their fault. It doesn't end pretty. When Jesus comes into our life, it doesn't change all the past and make all the past smell good. Come on now. L write this down if you're taking notes. A every offense has a fact and an impact. It has a fact and it does have an impact. The fact is, yes, that happened. So quit trying to ignore it and pretend, pretty Christian, that it didn't happen. Yes, it happened. And yes, it had an impact. But you didn't get to choose the fact, but you can choose the impact. Come on now. Are you hearing that tonight? I got to wonder, I wonder if Jesus thought, you know, John, I, I know your pain is great and I, and I know your heart is breaking, but, but, but you're not the first one and you won't be the last one that I don't answer the way. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm not going to answer that Ken Hubbard dude one day the way he wants me to, and he's going to need your story to refer to so that he won't be offended in me. Come on. I bet, G, I bet Jesus would say to him, but John, if you'll hang in there, I do have a plan. Hey, hey John, you, might, you will never see it on this side of heaven. John, you're never going to see the plan while you're still breathing the oxygen of this earth. You're, you're not going to see my plan because my ways are higher than your ways. I'm sorry. I know that sounds cliche, but it's really true, John. If you could just see the way I see, you would understand. But here's what I want you to know. I will bless your socks off if you refuse to get offended in me. <laughs> mm. Let me ask it again. Put it on the screen because I want you to have it. Take a time out from the. Put it. Put it up there. I think I have that. Maybe I don't. Put. Put it on there. You, you, you can. Jesus wants to know from John. Can you love a God that you don't understand? I don't know if I have it. Yeah. Can you love a God? 
Christians, we love to come to church so we can talk about how we understand God. You don't understand God. You do not understand. The preacher does not understand God. And Christians get offended when I say that. I'm doing my best to understand Him, but I can't just understand Him through a book that I read. I understand Him by the years on the calendar that go by and the pain and the tragedies and the offenses and the hurts and the striking again. Come on, everybody. And the vile. That's where I learn God's faithfulness. In the pit, in the trenches, everybody. Right? So can you love a God that you don't understand? Can you love a God you can't explain? By the way, if I could explain God, wouldn't that make me His God? His ways are higher than my ways. I can't explain God. All right, looks like you guys are ready to move to the next one. Number four. Number four is refuse to be the victim and refuse to be the villain. Refuse to be the victim. Well, I'm just going to sit over here in my quiet little corner in my little jail cell the rest of my life because (sighs) (sighs) when I was five, I'm not making fun, I wasn't safe. Remember that? When I was two, I wasn't seen. When I was a teenager, I wasn't soothed. When somebody violated me, I wasn't secure. Right? And so now, I'm just going to forever be the victim. And just kind of tiptoe through life and just take whatever life gives me. You know. Or I become the villain. Nobody's ever going to do that to me again. I'll do it to you before you do it to me. Don't be the victim. Don't be the villain. Watch this. But through forgiveness, you can be the victor. Mm. Number five. Come on. You guys are blown away, aren't you? I mean, this is breakneck speed. Number five. (laughs) Sometimes you got to ask for a compliment. Number five, don't attach your willingness to forgive to their ability to respond. They, they, listen, I had to learn this from somebody very close to me. I wanted them to respond in a certain way about a tragedy, and they didn't. I don't think they had the bandwidth. I, I, I don't think they had the emotional IQ I don't mean that critical, but they didn't have the emotional IQ to respond the way that I really wish they would have responded in the offense that happened. Mm. We often think that they will rehabilitate. We often think that they will get better, and we think that they'll rehabilitate while we hold them in prison. And so we build these mental prisons. Don't look at me like you've never done it. You build these mental prisons, and you hold the key, and you hold the lock, and you put them in there, and at nighttime when no one's listening and the whole house is quiet, you imagine going to their cell and telling them off, going to their cell and beating them up, going to their cell and doing to them what they did to you. Come on, somebody. And and we think that if if we keep them in this mental prison, when they rehabilitate, when they finally say they're sorry, and when they finally show improvement, then we'll release them. No, release them now. Jesus died on a cross while we were yet sinners. Not when we got better. Number six, number six, number six, number six. If I can't forgive unfair, I I can't forgive at all. Because I can logic my way through logical things. Oh, you know, 
he, he cheated me on some money, but you know, he was behind and he was going to lose his house and doggone it, I don't like it, but I can forgive that. But I can't forgive when, how could a dad, how could a, I talked about that last week, so let me move on. Number seven, there will always be an opportunity to be offended. I have offended so many people in the last 30 minutes, it's ridiculous. John, John, who are you offended by? Was it Herod? He deserved it. Was it Jesus? Who's respond? Who are you offended? There will always be an opportunity from the good guys and the bad guys. It's crazy. We exist as a church to help people get one step closer to God. It's crazy how many people we offend trying to help you get better. Because there will always be an opportunity to be offended. Number eight, forgiveness is a decision and a process. I need somebody to hear this because we think, okay, I came to a church service. My pastor was preaching on forgiveness. He was in this prison cell, and tonight I decided I am forgiving that offense. I'm forgiving that violation, and it feels good, and the music's going to pl- pr- play, and we're going to pray, and it, whoo, it's good. I'm in church. It feels good, and you're walking through life. It might be Two weeks, it might be two months, it might be three months, it might be a year, and something's going to trigger. Come on, don't look at me like you don't know what a trigger is. Uh, you know, it's the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. It's something triggered. So, something, oh no, they didn't. <laughs> oh no, you just stepped on that nerve, Right? And the other person sitting there going, all I said was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the offense has been there for so long and undealt with. It's a decision and it's a process. Listen, triggers do not mean that you haven't forgiven. Forgiveness is a decision. I forgive. I choose to forgive. That doesn't mean you feel warm and fuzzy about it. Doesn't mean you want to get together with the offender. And somewhere down the road, somebody's going to remind you of your past offender. And that trigger doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. It means you have to forgive again. It means you've got to bring it to Jesus again. If you didn't, what do you need Jesus for? Let me say it another way. I think I wrote this down for you. Feelings are a good indicator, but they are a bad dictator. Feeling. Listen, there are certain feelings I start getting that that I know are unhealthy for me. Come on now. When when veins start bulging out the side of my neck and I'm redder than I am right now, I know that's not a good feeling. I need need a time out, man. Because if I let the feeling dictate, (laughs) come on, you guys know what I'm talking about out there. Oh, I think I'm in love. This time it's for real. I'm in love. I feel, ooh, I feel, yeah, but it's a bad dictator because you've chosen ten wrong ones in the past. So let some friends in to help you. Hello? All right. All right, number nine. 
Number nine, remember, watch this, I did a little trick on words here. Remember and forgive, not forgive and forget. See, in this series right now, I'm conjuring up some things, and all of a sudden you're thinking about things you haven't thought about in years. Say amen if I'm right about it. I thought so. Man, thanks a lot, Ken. I haven't thought about that since I was 10, and you're 100 now. You know what I'm saying? No, you got to go back, stand that person up in your mind, and remember what happened, and choose to forgive. Otherwise, you've been trying to forget about it. And, and anything, and anyone, and any circumstance that reminds you, you try to avoid, and you've built your own prison cell. And I need some friends, but last time I had friends, Mark, you know, they stole my money. And last time I had friends, they, they, they cheated with my wife. And last time I had friends, they... <laughs> Go ahead and remember it. Go ahead and stand that memory up. Quit running from the memory. Quit burying the memory. Dig it up. Stand it up. Be bold enough with the power of the Holy Spirit in you and go right up to that memory and say, I remember you, and I remember the offense, and I remember the violation, and today I'm going to be bigger than you, and I choose to forgive you. Come on. Right? Mm-mm-mm-mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, I want to spend a lot more time on that one. But I told you I'd fly through these. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's do number 10. Number 10. I want you to remember this. I wrote it. I hold the keys to the prison cell. You hold the keys. See, Jesus has already set you free. You, you, the whole time I've been up in here, I've had the keys to the prison cell. The whole time, the whole time I've been up here, I have had the keys. And, and you had the keys through every failure that was a failure, not because you're a failure, but, but you hit, watch this, let me do this. Uh, uh, honey, come up here and give me a hug. Would you come give me a hug? And Come on up. Ooh, come on. And, and I want to have a good marriage, and I, and I want to have good intimacy and good love and a good marriage and, and all of that stuff, but something's in the way. And all the while, the something that is interfering with our relationship, all the while, I've had the key. Thank you. Uh, Mark, come here. I need some friends in my life. Come on, man. I need to get involved in a life group. Man, it would be great. And all the time I want to have friends and be friendly and, 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 and share some struggles and prayer. I can't do it because something's in the way. I've built a prison that keeps me from things, that keeps me from that. I, I could keep calling people. I could call my daughter up and say, hey, stand here. I want to be a good dad, but something's in the way. And all the while that the something's in the way, Jesus already died. Jesus already defeated death, hell, and the grave. And he gave me the key. So, so, so watch this. Here's what's interesting. When I decide... When I decided to let you out of prison, when I decided I was going to come out of prison, and I was opening the door, and I came out of my prison, oh, 
All the while I was looking at you through the prison bars. All the while I thought it was you that was in prison. I thought I put you in prison. I, I, thought, I thought I was free. I thought I was looking at all you that were messed up, all of you that were in prison, all of you that needed healing, all that you, all you needed being set free. But when I opened the door for myself to get out, I realized you were already out. I was the one in, and my perspective of who you are changes now when I come out. Come on and give the Lord a good hand clap. Woo, I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop right there. It's 759. Glory, glory, hallelujah. I did it. Come on, everybody.